0: Please take your Bible and open to Deuteronomy chapter 6. It was quite a few years ago, but I do still remember quite clearly. Uh, it was a Sunday night, and back, that was back in the era when we had uh, uh, young people meeting for supper after the Sunday evening service. Uh, and we, we went around the room, and I asked say, for a if they could share, everyone could share a significant event or a significant person involved in their salvation. And it was quite notable for a considerable number said that the significant event was Sunday school and the significant person was a Sunday school teacher. It is obvious that uh, Sunday school is a great ministry and that Sunday school teachers and Sunday school helpers are a great blessing. And yet primarily the responsibility for teaching our children doesn't lie with our Sunday school or any other ministry of the church primarily. Primarily the responsibility for teaching our children lies with parents, and especially with fathers. Ephesians chapter 6 verse 4, the word of God says, And ye fathers, provoke not your children to to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. The New Testament emphasizes the prominence of the father in a child's spiritual development. And the Old Testament does exactly the same thing. In the book of Deuteronomy, the Israelites, having been delivered out of the land of Egypt and having wandered in the wilderness for 40 years, were now at the point of crossing over into the promised land. They were there on the banks of the Jordan River. And here they were on the verge of establishing a new civilization. It was a wonderful opportunity to establish a new culture. For their children and for the generations to come, and the responsibility for that new opportunity for the nation of Israel is laid fairly and squarely on the shoulders of the fathers. Deuteronomy chapter six, verse one. Now these are the commandments, the statutes, and the judgments that the Lord your father, the Lord your God, sorry, commanded to teach you, that ye might do them in the land whither ye go to possess it, that thou mightest fear the Lord thy God to keep all his statutes and his commandments, which I command thee, thou and thy son and thy son's sons, all the days of thy life, and that thy days may be prolonged. Now obviously we don't have the opportunity of starting a new civilization, but uh, every parent does have the privilege of starting a new generation, and the responsibility for that, the raising of that generation, the instruction of that generation, the responsibility for that, lies first and foremost as a responsibility upon the fathers that's the way it's always been consider Abraham back in Genesis chapter 18 verses 17 and 19 the Lord makes a comment there upon Abraham's faithfulness God reveals the reason why it's to him that he God reveals the reason why it's to Abraham that he's going to share about the imminent destruction of the cities of Solomon and Gomorrah. God tells us why he reveals this information to Abraham and whilst he conceals it from others. This is what God said, Genesis 18 verse 17. The Lord said, shall I hide from Abraham the thing that I do? Verse 19, for I know him that he will command his children and his household after him, that they may keep the way of the Lord to do justice and judgment. And so way back at the very beginning, towards the beginning of the New Testament, the first book of the Bible, sorry, Old Testament, the first book of the Bible, we see that the father's role in teaching children is emphasized and the same emphasis is found in the very last book of the Old Testament. Indeed, in the very last verse. Please leave a bookmark in Deuteronomy chapter 6 and go to the book of Malachi chapter 4, the last chapter of the Old Testament. Malachi chapter 4. And the interesting thing to note, before we read the verse, the interesting thing to note is that between the end of Malachi and the beginning of Matthew, between the end of what we call the Old Testament and the beginning of the New Testament, there are 400 Years of silence. There's a gap of 400 years when there's no prophet. There's no voice of God speaking to the people. There's no revelation from God for 400 years. I'd like to ask you, I get you to consider the question. You know, if you were God and you weren't going to speak for another 400 years, what would what would be the last thing that you would say? What would you want the people to remember for the next 400 years? Well, here's what the Lord said, Malachi chapter four, verse six, and he shall turn the heart of the fathers to the children and the heart of the children to their fathers, lest I come and smite the earth with a curse. God finishes the Old Testament by talking about fathers and their children. You read the book of Malachi, you can discover that Israel at that moment was in the midst of a father in crisis. And God's blessing was contingent, contingent upon the fathers in Israel repenting and having a change of hearts and having a hearts turned towards their children. And the reason why they're having a father in crisis is evident in the book of Malachi. We may mention it before we finish the sermon. But the point right here is that the last thing that God says for 400 years It's about fathers and their children. He says something about fathers and their children. I want you to turn back, please, to the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 6. Hopefully, you've got an outline sheet there. On the top of the outline sheet is the message, the title of the message this morning, Teach the Children Well. That's what I'd like for us to consider this morning, specifically how fathers can do that. Our first heading there is, By Example. Teach the Children Well by Example. If you look down at Deuteronomy, chapter 6, You'll notice that the admonition that, for, that fathers are to teach their children is found in verse 7. It says, and thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children. But before we get to verse 7, there are six other verses which say that before the fathers teach the children, the father themselves need to be putting into practice the things that they're going to teach. Verse 1. Now these are the commandments, the statutes, the judgments, which the Lord your God command to teach you that ye might do them in the land whither ye go to possess it. That ye might do them in the land whither ye go to possess it. And that thou mightest fear the Lord thy God to keep all his statutes and his commandments, which I command thee, thou and thy son and thy son's sons, all the days of thy life, and that thy days may be prolonged. Hear therefore, O Israel, and observe to do it, that it may be well with thee, and that ye may increase mightily, as the Lord God of their fathers hath promised thee, in the land which floweth with milk and honey. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord, and thou shalt love the Lord with all thy heart, and with all thy soul, and with all thy might. And these words which I command thee this day shall be in thine heart, and thou shalt teach them diligently unto the children. You notice on your outline sheet, That the third heading there has to do with teaching by words. But before we open our mouths and teach by words, there must be something about us, there must be something about our example that lends lends integrity and credibility to the things that we say. When God created Adam, God made him in his own image and likeness. Adam was created in the image and likeness of God. Adam was created righteous. Adam was created holy. Adam was created godly, and yet we know that Adam went on and fell into sin, and in, and it was as a sinner that Adam begat children. When Seth was born, Genesis chapter five verse three says, "And Adam begat a son in his own image, after his own likeness." And whereas Adam was originally made in the Image of the God that created him, Seth was like his sinful father that produced him. Like father, like son. It's a biblical principle. And it starts at birth and it continues through life. And genetics, genetics is the first thing that causes a father, children to be like their father. Example is the next thing. Yet I think many fathers seem oblivious to the power and influence of their own example. Let me illustrate. As father and his son Billy are driving across the city, the father is continually commenting about the ability or inability of the other drivers. The father didn't realize how much his example was actually teaching his son until someone asked his son, hey, Billy, did you enjoy the the trip across town? Yes, it was fine. We saw five jerks, four idiots, three fools and two blankety blanks on the road. wasn't a wise person who said that if a child lives with criticism, they learn to condemn. Is there only one of the father that speaks disparagingly of someone in authority then has a problem with a child who has no respect for authority? Perhaps it has something to do with example. Do as I say, not as I do is a philosophy that doesn't work well with children for long. It's a form of hypocrisy that drives children away. Proverbs 20 verse 7 says, The just man walketh in his integrity, his, and his children are blessed after him. John G. Patton became a famous missionary to the New Hebrides. Without a doubt, the greatest human influence in his life was the example of his father. In his autobiography, this is what John Patton writes. He says, How much of my father's prayers at this time impressed me, I can never explain, nor can any stranger understand. When on his knees and all of us round about him kneeling in family worship, he poured out his soul with tears for the conversion of the heathen world to the service of Christ and for every personal and domestic need. We all felt as if in the divine presence of a living saviour and learn how to know and to love him as our divine friend eventually the time came for John Patton to depart home to attend divinity school in Glasgow it was a 40 mile walk to the train station where the 20 year old John Patton was to catch the train and many years after that event this is what he wrote he says, "My dear father, walk with me the first six miles of the way." His counsels and tears, and heavily converse, heavenly conversation on that parting journey are fresh in my heart, as if it had been but yesterday, and tears are upon my cheeks as freely now as then. Whenever the memory steals me away to the scene, for the last half a mile or so, we walked together in almost unbroken silence. My father, as was often his custom, carrying his hat in his hand, while his long flowing yellow hair, then yellow but later, in later years, white as snow, streamed like a girl's down his shoulders. His lips kept moving in silent prayers for me, and his tears fell fast when our eyes met um, each other in looks for which all human speech was vain. We halted on reaching the appointed parting place. He grasped my hand firmly for a minute in silence and solemnly and affectionately said, God bless you, my son. Your father's God prosper you and keep you from all evil. Unable to say any more, his lips kept moving in silent prayer. In tears, we embraced and parted. I ran off as fast as I could. And when about to turn the corner in the road where he would lose sight of me, I looked back and saw him standing standing with his head uncovered where I left him, gazing after me, waving my hat adieu. I rounded the corner and out of sight in an instant, but my heart was, so, was too full and sore to carry me further, so I darted into the side of the road and wept for a time. Then rising up cautiously, I climbed the dyke to see if he yet stood there where I left him. And just at that moment, I caught a glimpse of him climbing the dyke and looking out for me. He did not see me. And after he gazed eagerly in my direction for a while, he got down, set his face toward home and began to return. His head still uncovered and his heart, I felt sure, still rising in prayers for me. I watched through blinding tears till his head faded from my gaze and then hastening on my way, vowed deeply and oft by the help of God to live and act so as to never grieve or disappoint such a father as God had given me. The impact of a father's faith, his prayers, his love, his discipline is immeasurable. Fathers, I want you to hear this and be filled with longing. Thomas Fuller was right when he said, None can pray well, but he that lives well. And if our prayers for our children are to be effective, then fathers, our example before our children needs to be godly. Steve Farrah tells of an incident with his two children. Two sons. He says, a few weeks ago, I was in the car with my two boys. John is 16 and Josh is 13. We stopped a traffic light waiting for it to turn green. As we waited, a woman who was obviously emotionally starved for attention crossed the street in front of us. How do I know she was emotionally starved by the way that she was dressed and the way that she carried herself? Let's put it this way. She was wearing the minimum. She wanted every guy at the intersection to notice. A few minutes later, my John, my son John said, you know what, Dad? You never look. Look at what? You never look at women. How do you know I never look at women? Because I watch you all the time. I've watched you since I was a little boy. I've watched you on airplanes. I've watched you in restaurants. I've watched you at the beach. And I watched you back then at the intersection. You've never seemed, I've never seen you look, not once. And I watch you constantly. Well, John, I did see that woman as you did. But you have to train yourself to look away immediately when you see someone like that. That's what I mean, Dad. You always look away. That's what you tell the guys at the conferences that you do. I've heard you tell them that for years. That's why I watch you so closely. I want to see if you will do what you say a man should do. One of the reasons I look away is that I know that you're watching me. That's why the real test of a man is his character instead of his reputation. Then Josh jumped in and said, Dad, reputation is what people think that you are but character is what you know you are when what you are when no one is around is looking that's what you teach us dad our children are lis- are our children listening to what we're teaching well possibly um, maybe they're not but there's something that we can be sure of we we can be sure that children are watching our example our children are watching our example they watch what we look at they watch where we go they watch how we respond they watch What's important to us? They watch what we do to see if it all adds up with what we say. Perhaps more than anything else, fathers, we teach by example. Secondly, we teach by attitudes. We teach by attitudes. Again, may I point out to you that the admonition to teach children comes in Deuteronomy 6, verse 7. But before verse 7, we have verses 5 and 6, which say, And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart and with all thy soul and with all thy might. And these words which I command thee this day shall be in thine heart. Notice that the word heart is found twice in these two verses. Sure, as parents, we don't always get it right. Sometimes we make wrong decisions about life and about our children. That's always going to be the case. But what's being emphasised here is the underlying motive, the underlying attitude. Infallibility and inerrancy are two qualities that no human beings, apart from Christ, will ever possess. But thankfully, you don't have to have those two things to be an effective father. What you do need to have is a right heart attitude. Look back at chapter 5, Deuteronomy 5 verse 29. This is what the Lord says. Jeremiah five twenty nine. Oh, that there was such an heart in them, that they would fear me, and keep all my commandments always, that it may be well with them and with their children, forever. What is the factor? What is the factor in that verse that determines the blessedness of our children? It's the heart attitude of the parents. It's a heart that conveys a fear of the Lord. It's a heart that conveys a desire to please the Lord, verse 29. Chapter 6, verse 5. It's a heart that conveys that, in spite of our failures and our faults, that we do love the Lord. In Exodus chapter 20, we we have the Ten Commandments as they were given to the children of Israel the first occasion there at Mount Sinai. And Deuteronomy is a repeating of that same law for the next generation. Forty years later, not at Sinai, but by the banks of the Jordan River. Look at Deuteronomy 5, verse 1. And Moses called Israel and said to them, Hear, O Israel, the statutes and the judgments which I speak in your ears this day, that ye may learn them and keep them and do them. And the Lord our God made a covenant with us in Horeb, or Sinai. And the Lord made not his covenant with our fathers, but with us, even us, who are all of us alive here, alive this day? The Lord talked with you face to face in the mount, of the midst of fire. I stood between the Lord and you at that time and showed you the word of the Lord. For ye were afraid by reason of the fire and went not up into the mount, saying, "I am the Lord thy God," which brought thee out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Thou shalt not make any graven image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or on the earth beneath. Or that is in the waters beneath the earth thou shalt not bow down thyself unto them nor serve them for I am the Lord thy God am a jealous God visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children unto the third and fourth generation of them that hate me and showing mercy unto thousands of them that love me and keep my commandments I know that's a question that does bother some fathers the question goes something like this is God going to punish my kids for my sin before I got saved, I got, did a whole lot of bad things, really bad things. I was back then everything I don't want my children to be. Are my kids going to be punished for what I've done? Well, the simple answer is no. If you look at verse 9, if you look at the end of verse 9 closely, you'll notice at the end of the verse it says, you'll see that God only does that kind of thing to those that hate me. So the question is, do you hate God? If so, be your children... Are in a lot of trouble. But if you love God, if your desire, if your heart's desire is to love God and to keep his commandments, not talking about perfection here, but if your heart's desire is to keep the ways of the Lord and keep his commandments, then verse 10 says, God doesn't visit your sins upon your children. Rather, he'll pour out his mercy and his grace upon you and upon your children. If we love the Lord. Now, what sort of love are we talking about here? Well, I think we get uh, help with that. Chapter 6, verse 5. Go back, chapter 6, verse 5. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, and with all thy soul, and with all thy might. Clearly, we can't be half hearted in our love for the Lord. We can't teach our children well if we're only half hearted. For the Lord, David in the Psalms in one place prays, Lord, unite my heart to fear thy name. He acknowledges sometimes his heart's divided, sometimes half for the Lord and sometimes it's not. Sometimes he's half-hearted for the Lord. He acknowledges that. He confesses that. And we know there were times in David's life where he was divided in his heart and we know that he also had a divided home. James, under inspiration, says that a double-minded man is unstable in all of his ways. Like the foolish man who builds his house upon sand. If we're going to teach our children well about God. If we're going to do that well, then we have to love the Lord wholeheartedly. That's the underlying attitude, the underlying disposition of our life, the, under, the underlining inclination of our life. Someone, someone said that a man who knows his subject thoroughly, a man so soaked in it that he eats it, sleeps it, dreams it. This man can always teach with success. And, fathers, if we teach, attempt to teach our children about God who, for whom we're only half hearted, then our kids will figure out that before too long. And uh, they'll either grow up with a warped and twisted, perverted view of what God is really like. That's a profound possibility. There's no one who can teach a child as well about God as our Heavenly Father than a natural father, than their natural father. The only father that most children understand well is their own natural father. And I do know numerous people whose concept of God the Father is profoundly shaped by their concept of their earthly father. For good and for not so good. Some people have a great Troubled trusting their earthly father, or oh, so their heavenly father, because they couldn't really trust their earthly father. Fathers, do you know your? Does your attitude convey to your children that you deeply love the Lord, that you love the Lord's house, that you love His word, that you love His fellowship as you speak to Him in prayer? Does your love for God communicate to your children? that you love what God loves, or does your attitude communicate to your children that you resist God, that you resent the Lord, that you're bitter against Him, that you're indifferent towards Him, or that you love other things more than you love Him? Talking about attitude, fathers, does our attitude convey thankfulness? Matthew Henry is probably best known for the Bible commentary that he produced. One day he was coming home from the city when he was robbed and he made the following notation in his diary. He says, let me first be thankful. First, that I was never robbed before. Second, because although they took my wallet, they didn't take my life. Let me be thankful thirdly, because although they took my all, it wasn't much. Fourthly, let me be thankful because it was I who was robbed and not who did the robbing. My friends, that's a splendid attitude of thankfulness. And I probably don't need to tell you that Matthew Henry was a splendid father to his children. Furthermore, what kind of father produces that kind of child like Matthew Henry? What kind of father produces a child like Matthew Henry? Well, Philip Henry was a remarkably remarkable Christian man as well. Uh, Author, pastor, someone who loved the Lord deeply. Who raised a child like Matthew, who raised other godly children as well. We teach our children well when we teach by example, when we teach by attitude. Thirdly, when we teach by words. Look down at verse 6, Deuteronomy 6 verse 6. And these words which I command thee, this day shall be in thine heart, and thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children. I want you to put book a bookmark in Deuteronomy 6 and turn over, please, to the book of Proverbs. Proverbs chapter 4. Proverbs chapter 4. And I want us to bear in mind that when Solomon wrote the Proverbs, he was at that moment the, the wisest man in the world who walked very, very closely with God. And Solomon gave us numerous Proverbs, which are God's inspired authority on parenting. And these verses need to be understood that way. Proverbs 4 verse 1. Hear ye children, the instruction of a father, and attend to no understanding. For I give you good doctrine. Forsake ye not my law. For I was my father's son, tender and only beloved in the sight of my mother, he taught me also and said unto me, let my heart, let thine heart retain my words, keep my commandments and live. Get wisdom, get understanding. Forget it not, neither incline from the words of my mouth. I want you to know several things from those verses. Number one, David, who was Solomon's father, took the initiative in teaching his son. Reading from 1st and 2nd Samuel, it seems that at different times David neglected several of his sons, but he didn't make the same mistake with Solomon. He took the initiative. He sat his son down and said, son, listen, listen to what I'm going to teach you. Secondly, I want you to notice there was also a high standard of content. In the words that David shared with Solomon, verse 2 says it was good doctrine. It was good teaching. Thirdly, from verse 1 and verse 5, we can see that the purpose of teaching wasn't just to communicate facts or to communicate a set of rules, but rather to give understanding and to impart wisdom. Fourthly, the teaching of the Father was to become the heartfelt conviction of the son. Verse 4 refers to receiving instruction not just in the mind but with the heart. And this is what David wanted to get through, not just to his son's head, to get through to his son's heart. His words would become heartfelt convictions. Number 5 the commandments of god that solomon learned were first learned as commandments of his father what a father what fathers say should be the same as what god says in other words dad's words dad's our words need to be the same as what god is teaching our children our children need to hear god's words through our words They need to understand what God commands through, what we require of our children. Our words and God's word being the same. Now on your outline sheet, there's a couple of subheadings there. First one is what to teach. What to teach. Fathers, what do we say? What do we teach our children? Let me give you a couple of things here. Number one, teach them about God. Teach them about God. When God introduced himself to Jacob, he said in Genesis 28, verse 13, I'm the Lord God of thy father Abraham, or thy grandfather Abraham. I'm the God of thy father Isaac. Evidently, Jacob's pathway to the knowledge of God was through his own father and his grandfather Abraham. And the same way, fathers, it's our responsibility to tell our kids about the God that we know. Learn more. Learn more about the Lord every day and then teach your children what you learn about God. Teach them about God. Secondly, teach them about salvation. Back to Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy chapter 6 verse 20. And when thy son asketh thee in time to come, saying, What mean the testimonies, the statutes, the judgments which the Lord our God hath commanded you? Then you shall say unto thy son, We were Pharaoh's bondmen in Egypt. And the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand. The Lord showed us signs and wonders great and sore upon Egypt and upon Pharaoh and upon all of his household before our eyes. And he brought us forth from hence that he might bring us in and give us the land which he swam under our fathers. And the Lord commanded us to do these commandments for the for fear of the Lord our God. What's he doing here? What's he saying? His father, the kids are asking, him, Dad, why do we do all these things? Why are we obeying the Lord in all these things? And the father says, it's because the Lord saved us. It's because the Lord has redeemed us. This is what God has done for us. This is what God requires of us. This is the reason why. Teach them, tell them about salvation. Every everything in our life, everything in our life is the result of our salvation. Everything we do for the Lord is a result of our salvation. This is the key thing. Without that salvation, and everything else is, is, you know, where does it fit? What does it mean? Is it just rules and regulations? Teach them about our salvation. This is what our children need first and foremost. Fathers, you are the resident evangelist in your home. I mentioned about uh, sitting down at a young people's meeting, going around the room. A room. You know Who was a significant person uh, in your salvation? Many people said a Sunday school teacher. Many others said their parents. It's a wonderful blessing to lead our children to the Lord. Teach them about God. Teach them about salvation. Teach them the Bible. Thirdly, teach them the Bible. Not just the facts of the Bible, but also the principles of the Bible. The spiritual lessons from the Bible. Yes, teach them about Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego throwing in the fiery furnace. Teach them about Daniel being thrown in the lion's den. This is the the facts, the, the stories of scripture. But there's spiritual lessons and principles there. Children need to understand that sometimes, you know, things aren't just. Sometimes life isn't fair. Sometimes bad things do happen to us when we're trying to do the right thing. Sometimes people don't treat us fairly. But we can trust the Lord. We can trust the Lord to look after us and care for us. Talk to your children, speak to them, tell them about the Bible. Teach them the messages of God's word. Teach them about life. Fourthly, teach them about life. Teach them about honesty and truthfulness and purity and diligence and work and study and orderliness. Teach them about money. How to save and how to give. Teach them about loyalty. Teach them about promptness and self-discipline. Teach them to be thorough and to finish the job. Teach them to be kind at school to the person that everyone else picks on. Teach them not to cheat on their homework or their tests. Teach your daughters that there are two kinds of beauty: that which is inward and that which is outward. And that which is more most important to you, and that which is more important to God is that which is inward. Teach your son to open the door for his mother and to keep their hands off any woman who isn't his wife. Teach your children to do right when no one else is around because Jesus is always around. Teach them that some things are more important than sport and education, like being in God's house on Sundays and worshipping the Lord together. Teach them to say no to some movies that even their friends and even their Christian friends say yes to. Teach your sons to be gentlemen and act like them. Teach your daughters to be a lady and to act like one. Teach her to dress modestly. Teach her that men don't need to see what's down her top when she bends over. Teach her that it's better to be respected than popular. Teach your sons about the, daughter of porno- the, the danger of pornography. Teach your children to love people and to use things, not the other way around. Teach them to measure twice and to cut once. Teach them that it's a really great thing for your dad to kiss his your mum. Teach them that it's a father's job to provide for his family. Teach them that God wants men to be men and to lead the home and the family and the church. Teach them what to, what, what to look for in a husband, a pers- prospective husband or wife. Teach them that daddy will never leave mummy. Teach them that good fathers hug and kiss their children and also spank them too. Teach them that nothing that they will ever do will cause you to love them less. Teach them that nothing they will ever do will cause God to love them less. The list is long. Children got lots to learn. Fathers, we need to get busy. There's lots we have to teach. When do we teach? When do we teach? Let me give you a couple of points here. In structured times. Structured times like family devotions. Dads, it's your responsibility. To read the Bible. Explain the meeting. Keep it simple. Teach the principles. Pray together. Set the right example, have the right attitude, speak the right words, get some structure, get some order so that you regularly teach your family. Could be in the morning, could be in the evening, one or the other. That's immaterial, but we need to do it. Structured time. Secondly, unstructured time. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 7. It says, teach them diligently to their children. Talk of them when you sit in your house, when you're walking by the way, when you lie down, when you rise up, when you're driving in the car, when you're walking to the shop, when you're on family outings and holidays and activities, when you're putting them into bed at mealtimes, wonderful opportunities present themselves. We need to be ready. Finally, if we're going to teach our children well, we have to teach them by discipline. You know, God's expectation of children in the New Testament is really quite simple. Children, obey your parents. Well, that's it. And the way that pans out is that children who are taught by their parents how to obey their parents grow up not having so much of a struggle learning how to obey God. That's the way it works out. But in the meantime, children have to learn to obey their parents. And you know who has to teach them that? Parents have to teach them. Especially dads. Fathers, our children need to learn to obey quickly, sweetly, and completely. And when they disobey, there will be consequences, there will be discipline. How do we do that? Okay, we go to the Bible. We go to the Bible, we get our instruction from the Bible, we get our authority from the Bible. Proverbs 29.15 says the rod and reproof give wisdom, but the child left to himself bringeth his mother to shame. Proverbs 22.15, foolishness is bound in the heart of a child, but the rod of correction shall drive it from him. Proverbs 13.24, he that spareth the rod hateth his son, but he that loveth him chasteneth him beti- time. When our children disobey, God's word is clear. It gives us the means to deal with it and tells us the method of dealing with it. The means is discipline. The method is by spanking. Never in frustration. Never in anger. Never as an act of violence. That is disobedience. Probably greater disobedience than we're trying to address in the lives of our children. If we're seeking to teach our children loving obedience then the lesson must certainly be taught with loving obedience. It was about 20 years ago when Aaron and I had the privilege of visiting the USA for a couple of weeks, and we went on a tour of Alcatraz, the island prison in San Francisco. And each incoming prisoner, when they were ushered in their cell, was given a copy of the Alcatraz rules and regulations. Rule number five outlined the prisoner's rights, said you are entitled to food, clothing, shelter and medical attention. Anything else you get is a privilege. And those rules make perfect sense in a prison, but they don't make any sense in a family. And if kids grow up like that, then they might end up in prison. Love is to be the governing principle of our homes. Loving example, loving attitudes, loving words loving discipline fathers love your kids and love your wife I mentioned about Malachi chapter 4 verse 6 how there was this crisis in fathering part of the reason why it was a crisis in fathering is because there was a crisis in marriage go back and look at Malachi chapter 2 and you see that husbands weren't loving their wives well and that, and, and that led on to the fact that, that, that dads weren't doing the right things by their kids either. And don't think the two aren't related. There was once a full page ad in a leading magazine. Page was divided in two columns with a line down the middle. On the left hand side of the page was simply a heading at the top. says, what it takes to be a father. And underneath was a blown up magnified picture of a single sperm. And on the other side of the page there's a heading at the top which read what it takes to be a dad and then there was a long list, things like read to your children, keep your promises, go for walks together, let your children help with the household projects, spend time one on one with each child, tell your children about your own childhood, go to the zoo, museums together as a family, set a good example, use good manners, help your children with their homework, show your children lots of love and affection, set clear consistent limits. Consider how your decisions will affect your children. Listen to your children. Know your children's friends. Open a savings account for your children. Resolve conflict quickly. Take your children to a place of worship. Uh, Make a kite together. Fly a kite together. And it went on and on and on. I think we get the message. Almost any male, almost any male can father a child. But it takes a, a lot more to be a real dad. It takes a lot of work. To teach our children well. So, dads, let's get busy. Let's get involved. And let's get biblical in our fathering and the way that we teach our children. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we want to thank you that we can address you in that way. Thank you for what your only begotten Son has done for us in saving us. Declaring us... Righteous, making us righteous so that we can be welcome into your family. Lord, thank you that we are your children. You are our Heavenly Father. We also want to thank you, Lord, for the privilege of being an earthly father. Today, that's been our particular emphasis. We want to acknowledge that blessing. Thank you for the blessing of children. We also acknowledge it's a great responsibility that you have imparted to us to teach our children well, to evangelize them, to disciple them. Lord we're grateful for the ministry of the local church how there are other ministries that our children can benefit from thank you for gifted people who give of themselves to help us raise our children but Lord I do pray that we wouldn't leave all of delegate all that responsibility to them and neglect our own and so Lord I do pray for all the dads wherever we are uh, in our fathering whether we have young children or older children even adult children uh, we're always the parent of our children so we always have some kind of ministry there. And so we pray. I do pray, Lord, that you might help us. Lord, help us as fathers to know what the word of God says concerning our responsibilities. And dear Lord, I do pray that you might help us to faithful fulfill our, our responsibilities to you and to our children. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.